Hey, how's it going, my bros and sisters? My name is Beardapat. Today, I'm going to make a video on how to get started on YouTube. I've been asked to make this video. I don't know how many times I get this question all the time. How, can you give me some tips on how to get started? This is PewDiePie. Well, that's his YouTube alias. PewDiePie has 57 million subscribers to his YouTube channel, where he talks mostly about video games, but in this clip, he's actually giving advice to others who want to become online influencers like him. And everyone is keep asking me, how do I get started? There's people like PewDiePie on many different social media platforms, and it's now a lucrative industry of influence, where followers translate into dollars. In this episode of Business Briefing, we're exploring what this means for business, consumers, and the online influencers themselves. First up, Josh Nicholas talks to Crystal Aberdeen, a research fellow at Curtin University. My favorite example from Australia is a teenager, Troy Sivan. Hi guys. Okay, so I don't have anything fancy today. I actually uploaded yesterday. I so he started out as a young boy who could sing very well and uploaded videos on YouTube. But there was a significant turn of events when he came out as gay. And throngs of young viewers started subscribing not just for his music, but also for his vlogs where he talked about his journey and gave advice. Ever since I was a little kid, I have had literally one single dream. I wanted to be a singer. I wanted to be like Michael Jackson. Troy Sivan highlights the big difference between an influencer and a mainstream celebrity like George Clooney or LeBron James. Influencers have that leeway to put more of themselves out there because a lot of what they're peddling in is lifestyle content, narratives based upon their actual lives as lived. This stylistic difference means the selling point for an influencer is different than a celebrity. Our culture places celebrities above normal people in the social hierarchy, so they often sell aspirational goods like watches or cars. Influencers, meanwhile, position themselves as normal people who trade on their relationship with us. This manifests in a number of different ways. Going through the process of getting a product, going visit the store, doing a DIY project is one. And I thought that today I'd try cooking, and it's probably going to turn out to be a disaster. But shopping halls in which predominantly young women sit in front of a camera with a big bag of clothes and just show people what they wear and what they buy is also one genre. Less involved are people who do vlogging, but behind the scenes or in the background place certain products just to be seen in that frame. That is also a different form of product placement. So there's a big variety here and level of involvements really depend on the contract and the product. Three to five years ago, when this, um, this influencer industry was perhaps at its maturity peak, where content was flourishing the most, that relationship back to self, using your body and your life as a canvas to sell, was the most important. But today, the industry has expanded so much that even within the influencer scene, we've got hierarchies. So your big name influencers um, may not spend as much time investing their own narratives in these products, but they may just do a shout out. Yet this shout out alone is so impactful in having reach that advertisers don't mind. At the same time, there's this new underbelly of micro-influencers. Now they may have about 10,000 to 30,000 followers. Now, these are the influencers who now invest more in their own narratives to invite people into their lives to buy, to understand them, to see their preferences, their interests, and then purchase a product to emulate at least one aspect of their lives. 
But Crystal also says the industry is on the cusp of a huge change. Influencers are shifting away from the ad hoc and DIY to create a more professional industry. We're now at this era where platforms are taking over. You've got YouTube Red, you've got Amazon trying to start their own influencer firm, you've got Instagram now changing their formats to integrate Instagram-native ads in between the pictures you see. And on top of that, influencers like Troy Sivan are starting to cross over into mainstream celebrity, signing contracts with big music labels and starring in movies. In just two days, millions of moviegoers around the world will see Perth boy Troy Sivan on the big screen. The child actor plays a young Wolverine alongside Hugh Jackman in Hollywood's But then there are also many other influencers who now want to expand behind the scenes. So what we don't see now is the biggest of the biggest influencers are not only starting their own firms visibly, they are also now being engaged by top corporations around the world behind the scenes to work as consultants, creative directors, artistic directors. And a great example of this, again, from Australia, this time from Sydney, is Margaret Zhang. She started out as a fashion blogger as a young teenager at 13, became big at 15, but she's now the creative director for a lot of fashion labels around the world, and you often do not know this because she still maintains the face off as a fashion blogger, as opposed to the creative genius behind a campaign. That's Crystal Aberdeen, a research fellow at the Centre for Culture and Technology at Curtin University, speaking with Josh Nicholas. This is the Future This Week in Conversation. I'm Sandra Peter, Director of Sydney Business Insights. I'm Kai Remo, Professor of Information Technology and Organisation at the University of Sydney Business School. Hashtag van life. You've quit your corporate job, you've taken up an old van and you're Instagramming your life. So van life is a thing, people living the good life, traveling and Instagramming about it. This is actually a business. Behind micro-influencers, we're talking about $500 million industry in 2015, which is supposed to grow to about $5 billion by 2020. The travel that these people do is a great way for destinations to market themselves. Usually they pay for these people to come. To have authentic experiences. Yes, have authentic, pre-scripted experiences, document this on photographs and post this to followers. But how does it all work? Well, there's a very well-documented business model behind it. A wide variety of advertisers pay these people that have strong online following to showcase their products or... Or talk about their services or advertise for a movie, have a nice decal on your laptop that is unassumingly placed in the picture. So it's basically a form of sponsorship and product placement so that these people, while they go about living their enviable life... But not openly so. No one says no. this is actually a sponsored... No, but these people surround themselves with these products and sometimes they comment on how great a product is. It's very low-key, but apparently it works. Yes, but it comes at a price. Yes, in the van life example, what starts out as travel for fun that creates opportunities for sponsoring then turns into the main business. So as sponsors demand placement, people are more and more under pressure to create content for Instagram. And so they start traveling to places for the sole purpose of creating content. So Instagrammable content starts driving the travel at the expense of what used to make travel pleasurable. So what these online influencers have created is actually a range of business models that grow on top of things like Instagram. Yes. My name for this would be a colonizing practice. You have people traveling 
and they then do Instagramming on top of this a media advertising practice grows. But there comes the point where the actual travel is only organized to satisfy the needs of sponsors and an audience and it crowds out what actually was fun about it beforehand. And we see this in other places like horse racing used to be a sport organized for pleasure. And while there's certainly some people still in this industry who take pleasure in racing horses, it's really the betting practice that now drives the organization of horse races. Sport is more and more organized to comply with the needs of television audiences. So I think that this is something that we commonly see in various industries. And I think it's very important that a balance is being struck between keeping the original practice and keeping what made that practice fun and satisfying the other practice that sits on top of the original one. So and you don't that, kill off the host. That's right. Otherwise, we come to a situation where the practice that sort of sits on top acts more like a virus that might kill off the host and in the process loses what made it viable in the first place. And not only that, there is a real danger of altogether losing authenticity in these practices or even redefining what reality is. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. The actual experience exceeds our expectations. Kendall Jenner is leaning on a white couch. Uh, her top half is extremely fancy and her bottom half is wearing tracksuit pants for reasons I'm not sure about. And she's kind of reclining with her watch very prominently displayed. My name's Maddie DiGabrielli. I work for The Conversation and I don't spend a lot of time on Instagram. This is a bowl of oats and berries and fruit. It doesn't look like an ad to me necessarily. So it just kind of looks like someone who really wants to share their food on social media? Yeah, yeah, I think it looks like a standard pretentious food post from what I can see. There's more to social media than deciding what filter makes your eyes pop. Plenty of people, like Maddie, use the platform every day and might be unaware they're being influenced through a new form of advertising online influencers, someone who has a large following on one or several social media platforms. But director of UWA's Centre for Software Practice, David Glantz, says Australia does have consumer laws designed to protect us. We have the uh, Competition Consumer Act, which is the Australian Consumer Law, which actually has two sections that prohibit misleading or deceptive conduct and also uh, false or misleading representations about goods or services. And so those sections in the law could be applied to social media influencers who don't declare uh, or make clear that they're actually representing a product. One of the models who helped promote that ill-fated fire music festival. So David, there are laws in place, but as we saw in the US with the fire festival, these laws are potentially not very effective. Yeah, so th the Fire Festival was promoted as a luxury Bahamas getaway for, you know, the wealthy and good-looking um, sat. You know, what was promised by a whole range of people, including the social media influencers that included various supermodels, Bella Hadid, uh, Kendall Jenner, was that you would go to this festival, there would be various bands playing, you know, there would be high-quality food, luxury accommodation. What happened was that that things started falling apart and when people did eventually turn up, uh, what they were met with were disaster tents, you know, port-a-loos and stale bits of bread and cheese. So subsequent to that, 
there have been class action suits launched, but in it, they've also named the social media influencers who didn't make clear that they were promoting this festival basically in response to actually being paid to do so. So is there a possibility that online influencers could still mislead consumers? Oh, absolutely. And I think that uh, what we saw in the States with the, the Fire Festival really does you know, highlight the dangers of uh, the influence that these people do wield on social media. And that if it's not absolutely made clear that they are you know, promoting something because they are being paid or they have some incentive and they're not directly connected with that product in any other way uh, or that service, then I think that that has a material effect on consumers. And here in Australia, roughly 70% of the population uses Facebook, while Instagram reaches about 5 million residents per month. With such a large reach, is this type of marketing something that needs to be looked into further in terms of regulating the industry? You know, the reality is at the moment that people like Kendall Jenner has 22.9 million followers and uh, it's a massive audience. And so her reach is far more effective than you know, a TV station ad or a, a newspaper ad with a much smaller circulation. So I think a start would be for the technology platforms to actually provide social influencers with the mechanisms to actually do this in a way in which it makes it absolutely clear, not just hashtags, that what they're doing in a particular tweet or post is promoting a product. That's our intern, Nadia Iza, speaking with David Glantz, Director of the University of Western Australia's Centre for Software Practice. I'm Jenny Henderson, the Editor for Business and Economy at The Conversation. You also heard in this podcast from Josh Nicholas, who's my partner in crime on the business desk. Our theme music is by Ben Sound. And if you want to find more episodes of Business Briefing, head to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on The Conversation's website. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It helps others find the podcast.